welcome to Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Carezzi. This is the horror and comedy show where I do improvised horror stories. I do three to four stories per episode. And I pull random titles from a hat. from email that's sent by the audience, and then I improvise the stories from there. If you want to submit story titles yourself, you can email quarantinespookshow at gmail.com. In the meantime, I have a hat here full of an assortment of random shit that I'll be spewing fables from. So without further ado, let's begin. This first story is called The Birds Escape. his uh, cell phone vibrate against his thigh. It was about an hour past dusk in mid-October. He rushed out as soon as the birds escaped. As soon as he heard that the birds escaped. feet, rushing through pavement, gravel, and asphalt. The bottoms of his feet were already getting sore and calloused and cut up. From the rough terrain, he chose to traverse to look for these birds. So he answered his phone. speaking on the other line. Uh, Terry, any luck? And Ben said no. No, no luck. And Ben was just like, alright, well, I appreciate you looking for our pigeons, so you can just come back whenever you're ready. And Terry said, yeah, well, even though they're not technically my birds, and, you know, I don't live with you or anything, I still cared about those pigeons, you know? And I would, like, watch those birds and all that. I definitely developed a rapport with them. 
I have as much to lose from losing these birds as you do, so... If it's alright, I'd like to keep looking. Ben sighed from the other end of the phone. And he was just like, yeah, Terry, I, I, I really appreciate that, but... You know, they're birds, they're gonna fly around. Uh, once it gets cold, they might try to, like, go south for the winter or something, so... You know, you don't have to put pressure on yourself. It's dark anyway, so it's not like we'll see them. Even if we find some rogue pigeons. In trees or something, we won't be able to get them. Realistically, we'll just try to breed the pigeons we have and... Try to get a new flock from the eggs that we have. Maybe get some more birds from Craigslist or something, I don't know, but... Terry, it's not something you have to worry about. You can head back to the house, we can just have coffee and wine or whatever. Terry, uh, felt exhausted. He was just like, yeah, okay, I guess we can... I guess I'll head back. didn't know the neighborhood well. Again, he didn't live with Ben and the others. Though he would help occasionally, uh, caretaking for the pigeon coop. Especially when Ben and them would go on vacation or trips or what have you. Terry felt more than defeat when he couldn't find those pigeons. He felt the unmistakable feeling of loss. And how he rushed out of the house without putting on his shoes because he didn't want to miss an opportunity to find the birds, but realizing that it didn't make a difference anyway, he felt pretty foolish about it. dark and the trees had that autumn flush to them. He thought about texting or calling uh, Ben again to, or help him navigating back to the house. He stepped on something uh, crisp and sharp. His first impulse was just like, oh, it must be a sipping on some leaves and all that. But something about the, the feeling didn't feel quite right. So Barry bent down and saw what he stepped on. It was a little scroll yellow and seemed like it was old paper. So he started to unroll it. And it was a conversation. It looked similar to a text conversation, but 
existed on just like that long piece of paper. Terry was reading it and it said, the first sentence said, so when can we kill them? The next sentence in different, ha different handwriting. Soon, very soon, once we make our escape. sentence said now that you're out shall we begin and then the final sentence said yes let's begin now Terry knew that uh, Ben and the others were training those pigeons to send a delivery system uh, across the region and across the state just getting the hang of pigeon communication and all that. And even if they figured it out, they uh, talked about sending letters and things like that. Not a curt conversation about death or murder or anything like that. So Terry started to brush it off and it was just like, oh, it's probably just some random fucking note that's around. Anyone can find notes, and they can say anything. But as Terry was walking, he took a closer look at the scroll. It didn't look like it was written by human hands. It plausibly looked like it was written by bird feet. And Terry was just like, nah, it's ridiculous. Uh, Murderous pigeons, but but why? Eventually, they made it to Ben's house. Ben greeted them. Terry sat down and was given some decaf coffee with everyone else in the house and some guests that were there as well. Rochelle started to tear up a little bit, and she was just like, ah, those pigeons, uh, I love them so much. And Ben was like, yeah, we all did. It's a real bummer. And Rochelle said, no. It's more than just a bummer. You've been taking care of those birds since before you moved in, even. You wouldn't understand the depths of pigeon minds love that they're capable of. And then Ben said, okay, whatever you say. Terry was sipping his decaf coffee. And it tasted a little funny. He was never in decaf, so he just put it down. Asking, so it's just like, so what's uh, so you don't have a game plan for how to find the birds or anything? And then Ben said, No, well, we're trying to do what we can, you know. I mean, how do you even it's hard to track pigeons? Uh, usually they have like a home base that they usually fly to. Um, if they don't register our house as a home base, maybe they'll go to uh, their previous owner even one of the places we tried to mail the birds to, you know, tried to send the birds, rather. 
Terry said, well, I guess birds are technically mail carriers, you know? And Ben was like, yeah, that's part of the appeal. To think to have, you know, to really cultivate a pigeon transit system all across the region. We could have brought it back. Could have dodged a lot of, uh, the unwanted transparency on the internet. It'd be harder to track her messages. Would have been a renewed sense of freedom and privacy. Like no one would have believed. But I guess we're just gonna have a try again with a new flock or something. And Terry thought, yeah, yeah. And then Terry said out loud, well, you know, is there anything I can help with that? You know, I think it'd be cool. And Ben was just like, yeah, well, you're always down to come over and help with the chicken coop and whatnot. I mean, the bird pigeon coop. Rochelle said, get your bird terms right. And then Ben was just like, sorry, sorry, you know. I used to have chickens. I'm used to saying chicken coop. Well, how would it work if I wanted in on uh, pigeon transit and all that? And then Bell was like, well, if you want to be part of our pigeon transit system, we'd probably have to keep one or two birds at your house. Cultivate as a home base so when you can you send birds back and forth and all that. And all of a sudden... started to choke in the living room. Michelle was manically coughing. She was choking up blood and wheezing. The other housemates and guests were also doing the same thing. stood up, they started to freak out. They tried to hold everyone and tried to try to get everyone back on their feet. But they were all convulsing on the floor. Vomiting blood, bleeding out of their pores. stop moving. Ben and Terry just stood watching them in awe. Terry bent down to her shell, pressed his index and middle finger against her neck. said she's dead. Ben just stood there, silently freaking out. Terry was checking their pulses one by one. 
Ben was on his phone trying to call, call 911. And he was just like, Terry, you don't have to check every pulse. We'll call someone and they can send help. And then Terry said, well, I just like to be thorough, that's all. But when Terry checked all their pulses, they were all dead. The room full of people. Like oh, yeah, hi. I was gonna, uh, I was gonna call for an ambulance, but um, I think everyone's dead, so I think I just need a, just need a body pickup, several, uh, several bodies. Um, maybe an EMT in case someone's still breathing. Terry started. To, he sat on the couch. surface he kept a cool exterior but his heart was beating like a train engine there were blood on his hands and on his clothes trying to check everyone's pulses head around the tragedy. But one thing he did think of was the note that he found outside. The one that was plotting to kill after an escape. He had a ludicrous thought of the birds, could it? No, that's ridiculous. And then he looked at his cup of coffee that he barely touched. And then Ben got off the phone. And then Terry said, Hey Ben, did you drink any of the coffee? And Ben was just like, what? Uh, no, 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 I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't drink coffee, no, no. Then Terry said, well, I think, I think someone poisoned the coffee. And Ben was just like, no, why, what? He went to the, uh, pot where the coffee was being filtered. He looked at the grounds that were being used. dense green pile in the center of it. And then Terry approached and said, what, what, are, what are all those green flakes? And ben said, I, I don't know. I mean, it could be poison. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how this would be enough poison to poison the entire house, but if it is poison, then it's, a, it's enough poison. sit down. I think you're freaking out a little bit. And Ben was just like, uh, no, I don't, I think I'll be, no, no, I'll be, uh, I'm fine, I'm fine. And Terry was just like, Ben, sit down. 
she's like, well, sit down where? You know, the only chairs in that house are in the living room, and everyone in there is dead, so I don't want to sit there. And the terrorist was like, sit, sit on the counter then, come on. Terry helped Ben climb up on the counter and sit down. cigarette and freaking out and he started just like manically laugh and he just said oh, how am I gonna pay rent man and then Tara was just like I don't know we'll figure it out together all right I'm just gonna head to the front of the house and wait for an ambulance or body pickup to come I'll double check if anyone's breathing in the living room some pressure on the porch. Leaned against a pillar and waited. And then down on the floor of the porch, he saw a feather. like a pigeon feather from what he could tell. And then he thought, no, the pigeons escaped from the backyard while it would be on the porch. Again, he thought of the ludicrous idea that the pigeons could be plotting revenge. Terry thought, no, no, there's no way that could happen. And when I was on the porch, he was just like, fuck, I could really use some tobacco. So I went to the kitchen to see if Ben had an extra cigarette of some sort. But Ben was dead. His head was leaning against a broken window. His eyes and his face looked pecked out. Both of his eyeballs were busted open. throat was open, was bleeding out. And his bloody cigarette was still lit on the counter. Tara took a breath. Now he felt like he was shaking. So with his shaky hand, he picked up the lit cigarette and started smoking it, and he just said, oh, well, well, uh, how about that? He said, uh, and leaned against the counter, and he thought to himself, all right, that definitely, uh, 
That definitely looks like bird murder. I just gotta figure out how not to get murdered by birds and that'll be cool. some of the pigeons that didn't escape still in the chicken coop. And he had an idea, so what he did was he grabbed a baseball bat. And headed down to the backyard. He had the baseball bat so he wouldn't get attacked by the pigeons. try anything I'll uh, I'll beat the shit out of you and the pigeons were just like you know acting like birds doing making bird sounds doing bird things they didn't really to pay they, they didn't seem to pay Terry any mind so what Terry did was he sifted his hand through the pine shavings and the feathers and bird shit on the floor of the coop found a new piece of paper. It was in a tight little scroll, just like the other one. And it was a much longer conversation, though. In a similar pace that, uh, as to the one that he found outside on the ground on the street. First it said, Alright, the poison's been delivered. now. The second, the second uh, line said, excellent. And then the first uh, recipient said, the deed is done, everyone said, except for two. The line after that said, excellent. And then the next line said, the shit out of Ben. He's dead. Now just one to go. And then the next line said, excellent. Terry should be the easiest. And then the final line after that said, We have a special plan for him. And then a conversation ended there.
freaking out. He didn't know what to do. Thought about the exchange. And the scroll looked pretty new. And he thought, wait, could this could this just have been exchanged? The last person who can the last bird, rather, who contributed to that conversation probably wasn't in the coop. So whoever was writing the other part of that exchange, the bird that just kept hitting excellent, they must be here. But why would a bird have to send a message? He looked around the coop at all the pigeons. They all seemed like they were doing t typical bird things, you know. Nothing really to shake a stick at. Until he saw one bird with a broken wing. started violently shaking him. Perry just said, Who are you? What, what did you do? What did you do? And the bird just started to chirp in the call and scream, really reasonably freaking out. And Terry said, Tell me, what are you planning to do? just started to stare at him, just being like, what the fuck is this crazy human doing to that bird? It's the way that, it's like, the birds stare at a Terry in the way that, uh, birds would stare at a predator, like a raccoon. And Terry pointed at the other birds with the, with the bird with the broken wing. And Terry shouted, tell me what you're all planning. trying to prevent his murder. So he, ha he did something drastic to freak them out. What he did is he stuck the pigeon's head in his mouth and then bit down. His teeth squeezing the pigeon's neck and ripping off the bird's head. shooting out of the pigeon in spurts. The other pigeons in the coop were freaking out, flying around. Trying to ram at the walls of the coop, trying to get out. So Terry, with blood and feathers in his teeth and mouth, was shouting, Tell me what you're planning! Tell me what you're planning! And then a flashlight shone behind him. Terry turned around, and he saw two, two cops and a paramedic far back in the house, 
cops were shining flashlights on him and pointing guns at him. One of them said, Terry, put the, put the bat down. Alright, come with us. You're under arrest. And Terry said, no, it's not me, it's the pigeons. says, we know what you did to those people in there. Now make it harder than it has to be. And then Terry said, no, you don't understand. It's the birds, the birds. And then Terry started to freak out. And as he stepped closer to the cops, uh, they did what cops do often. They shot him and Terry fell. The paramedic checked on him. But when they put him in the ambulance and started to send him to the hospital, uh, Terry died on the way. And afterwards, he started to get a reputation in time as a bird-crazed murderer who murdered half a dozen people and bit off a bird's head. People that knew him would say it was like, yeah, I guess he was pretty obsessed with birds, you know. It fit into his, their narrative of him. session uh, of Terry releasing the birds and then committing murders of people in the house that kept the birds and then his alleged love and obsession became a manic rage and he started to take his anger out on the birds that's the way many people see Terry's story story of those people in that house, and the story of the pigeons. But some people who read that story often wonder if there is something more to it. cunning method of bird murder would just be to let the humans turn against themselves. Okay. This next story is called Murder. Wait, no. I totally didn't say murder.
Jazz Peter was the most renowned lounge singer on the East Coast during that time. Jersey, uh, Pennsylvania, New York, Maryland. And also would uh, make some trips in New York to, to New England. He would play luxury cruises, casinos, and bars when they were upscale enough for his standards. which weren't as high as he thought they were. But one thing about Jazz Peter, he knew how to sing. His prime was in like the 50s and 60s. Doing little ditties here and ditties there. First, he came up in the uh, the Shag Quartet, doing some jazz standards and doing some uh, more upbeat stuff as well. But then Jazz Peter went solo and really coveted doing more like the big band stuff. never reached the uh, the high octane of lounge singing to be backed by a big band. There'd usually be like three or four other musicians. Pianist, violinist, celloist, saxophone guitar, whoever was available during the time, really. He wasn't exactly selling out shows, but he made a living. He definitely saw himself way less of a sleazeball than a lot of these other lounge singers, uh, roaming the casinos and all that. But his favorite place to perform was Atlantic City. He knew some, uh, he had some nieces and nephews, uh, when Jazz Peter would talk about his work. His niece and nephews would say, uh, Jazz Peter, you know, or Uncle Pete, uh, or Jazzy Pete, Uncle Jazz. He had a plethora of names, and they often switched around every couple years or whatever. But they would just say, oh, Jazz Peter, you know, it's not, who gives a shit about AC, you know, it's all about, you know, Wildwood and stuff, with like all the rides and stuff. And then Jazz Peter laughed, and he was just like, huh, you're only not into the AC because you're not old enough to gamble yet. 
Trust me, when you start gambling, you'll be like, oh shit, these fucking casinos. Jazz Peter's sisters didn't like Jazz Peter uh, cursing in front of the kids. And Jazz Peter was just like, well, it's not like I can really do it on stage, you know, so I might gotta curse somewhere. Jazz Peter was uh, doing a set of shows in uh, Atlantic City. You know, it was summertime. Uh, a lot of crowds on the boardwalks. Shining lights. And he spent a lot of time gambling. Arguably too much, but when you're a lounge singer on the circuit, you're bound to be exposed to some seedy folks. He didn't do a lot of drugs, you know, he did like an occasional bump of coke or whatever. He'd often drink. But you know, he was on a musician's wage, ultimately, so he didn't like to overdo it, but goddamn that he loved to gamble. It wasn't even about winning or losing to him. He just liked to bet like as much as he could. The moment we'd go, ha ha ha, that's what he got off on. The thrill, the rush, the moment where anything could happen. That's what he was addicted to. And he didn't just see it in gambling. He saw it as a, as his, in his life as a musician in general. But as any, as... If you put it to any metric, Jazz Peter would tell you that he was happy. And it was mostly true. Sure, his life had peaks and valleys. Sometimes he'd have to take a bus to the Midwest to do a show. He'd have to walk in the rain and snow to get to the gig. But when his career hit a high, nothing higher as far as he was concerned. The only thing he worried about as far as the longevity of his career was the presence of rock music. How people just like to get down and party. He wasn't in the rock himself, you know. He just grew up in a different era, different sensibilities. Sure, he listened to classical every now and then. Could cite some co composers and some histories when he was trying to swoon uh, someone. As far as he was concerned, uh, jazz captured the entire spectrum of uh, humanity, and for him that was enough. Who wouldn't it be enough for? 
Jazz Peter wasn't the best songwriter. He did what he could, you know. Sometimes he'd hire help, you know, some lyricists especially. And of course, the music musicians that would tour with him, you know, they would have their insights. And he was always generous about the song credits. You know, even if you were in the room when he came up with a song, you know, he'd put your name on the list. songs would really earn him any royalties anyway, but, you know. Jazz Peter lived by the philosophy of just like, if you're making your way to the top, drop the ladder while you're on the way. So on the stint in AC, he was playing a lot of casinos, doing a lot of gambling, some drinking. Staying out long nights with a lot of women. A lot of other uh, performers might, might feel a, a sense of emptiness that would come with that. But not Jazz Peter. He had his connections and his friends. Kept in touch with his family. His career wasn't perfect. His life wasn't perfect. By God, it was far more than you could ever ask for. You know, and it's not... He wasn't ashamed to say that uh, he knew some guys. Certainly he's not the only lounge singer with mob connections. And he didn't like to go too deep into that world. During that time, you know, as far as the entertainment business goes, the mobsters were the ones that could make shit happen. And some, sometimes, Jazz Peter just needed so, those certain things to happen. So he knew some guys, knew some names of some families. Buddy, uh, part of that world. Probably the only person that uh, Jazz Peter, Peter would call a friend in that world, uh, named Barry. So when they uh, rendezvoused, they just started to like hang out and stuff. Spent the whole night together, you know, just bar hopping, you know. Hanging out at the casino that uh, Jazz Peter was performing that night. So they were just playing some blackjack at a random table at the hotel. And then Barry was just like, hey, uh, hey, Jazz Pete, you wanna, you wanna play a real game? 
jazz beater was just like, oh, I don't know. I just kind of paid off a, a lot of debt. I think I'm kind of... I'm in a good spot right now, you know? Really gambling responsibly. And then Barry laughed, and he's just like, come on, what's the fun of being responsible? And then Jazz Peter was just like, alright, but there's no way in hell I'm owing you money. And then Barry was just like, huh, smart man. Alright, here, I know, I know of a good spot. So Barry and Jazz Peter are walking down the boardwalk. Jazz Peter always liked to do a lot of people watching. You know, sometimes he'd see families or just like some kids hitting the town. People on road trips, you know. On the road just came out, so I had a lot of people traveling, just bopping back and forth between cities and towns. And then Jazz Peter thought, it's like, oh, it's kind of like what I do, but without the work. Barry was just like, alright, Pete, in here. So they found this one bar that kind of looked like a wharf. And they walked in and, uh, just looked like a total dive, really. Not very lively. Certainly not a place where the young people were going to, or the, uh, financially affluent people were going to. Just like looked like a lot of people that just like lived in town, probably lived there for too long. Probably been in that bar for too long. A lot of the people in the bar look like they're there since like two in the afternoon. Not that Jazz Peter would uh wouldn't see those type of people in casinos or hotels that he performed in, or that he wasn't a uh, that kind of person every now and then. But he knew Barry knew people and had connections. He was exposed to a lot of glitz, and... So Jazz Peter was a bit confused. He was like, Barry, this is a, this is a total dive, you know? Is this really the right place? And then Barry was just like, oh yeah, yeah. So they head down a hall and then head toward a back room. And Barry stops and turns to Jazz Peter, and he's just like, alright. Pete, I like you. You know. When you when we were talking about this, you were just like, hi, I don't want to owe you money. And I was like, that's smart. But, like, you definitely don't owe these guys money. And Jazz Peter was just like, oh, yeah, well, okay, sure. And then Barry was just like, because, you know, the worst thing that people I know could do would, like, kill you. But these guys, you know. They go for more than just money, if you know what I mean. And then Jazz Peter was just like, what, you mean like a debt-based dependence? And then Barry was just like, huh, even even worse than that. You'll hopefully you won't see, but let's have a let's have a good game. So Jazz Peter and Barry went to this uh back room at the back of a dive. They're just playing a game of Texas Hold'em. And the people looked pretty average, you know, certainly older. And at a glance, they didn't look 
anything different to Jazz Peter than anyone else he'd meet until they saw their eyes. Jazz Peter got a close look at them. And as part of the way their faces wrinkled, or just in the eyes alone, but there was a sense of hardened cruelty. A sense that's like unbending. At a much deeper depth than any sort of mobster uh, Jazz Peter ever encountered. Glance at Barry, and even he looked nervous. And then Barry's just like, yeah, this is the real game right here. So they both sat down, and Barry was just like, this is my friend, Pete. Uh, Jazz Peter, you might know him as. And then one of the guys there says, like, oh, Jazz Peter, yeah, yeah. I've listened to your stuff before. You put out a record, like, 20 years ago. And then Jazz Peter was just like, uh, how the hell do you know that? I mean, no one listened to that thing, that's just why I'd go on tour all the time. man laughed and he's just like, oh, I just, I like to pay attention. So Jazz Peter, uh, considered himself affable. He was, uh, cracking some jokes and, uh, got a couple of laughs from the crowd as, uh, as they were playing the game. What was curious about it, it wasn't even uh, the high financial stakes that, you know, that he's played in, in other back rooms before. It just seemed like a regular friendly low stakes game. And he was just like, alright, at least I can uh, relax, have a good time, not worry about being in debt for the rest of my life. started to pick on some pick up on some of the conversations you know whenever he met new people uh, they'd always talk about things that he didn't understand that were over his head just from a different frame of reference as far as life experience went but these guys would talk about like old things you know talk about a lot of poetry from the 1800s Fisherman Protocol from like, the 1600s. One of them talked about meeting a printmaker maker, uh, using printed me printing methods uh, they would only find in the 1700s. And Jazz Peter was just like, oh, that's really hella specific. So the game went on, Jazz Peter was doing well, the night went on, and one by one people started to call it, and then Jazz Peter and Barry were still having a blast, they were just like talking, catching up, 
talking about their lives and stuff. Talking about just like, oh, what's it going to be like to be, you know, hitting old age and stuff. They're entering that threshold in their lives, you know. Talking about the kids these days and what they have going for them and what they don't. But the other, only other person there was a, a man in a top hat. Very long black pea coat. He's just like, ah, oh, you guys are, you guys are a lot of fun. And then Jazz Peter was just like, yeah, well, what else can you do, you know? And then the stranger said, yeah, that's right. You know, I've known about your work for a while, but I'm surprised more people don't know you, you know. And then Jazz Peter was just like, well, the people who hire me know me, so it's enough for me, you know. As long as I can still get gigs, you know. And the stranger said, yeah. Yeah, I'm someone who definitely has to work on his brand, for sure. And then Jazz Peter was just like, oh, just take some, you know, some elbow grease, just meeting a lot of people. Putting yourself out there, you know, all the basic, you know, life principles that you probably know about. And the stranger said, yeah, that's true, but, you know, I could really use some help. And you seem someone really good with it, you know. And then Jazz Peter was just like, what, you're talking about like a brand deal or something? You know, I'm not interested in like selling sneakers or anything. Strangers like no no nothing like that but uh you know how about this you got a nice solid hand you know how about we make a bet on it you know we do a round of Texas Hold'em if I win you help me out with uh pushing my brand you know and then Jazz Peter was just like well if you just pay me to do it I'll do it. Jazz Peter was like, ah, oh, but you don't want to pay me, you just want me to do it for free. I see. Alright, well, I can do that anyway, why not? Sounds like a fun bet. So the stranger was dealing, and, uh, Barry wasn't in the game, he just looked nervous. He's watching the river. He didn't take a didn't take a glance at uh, Jazz Peter's hand. He didn't want his face to be its hell for the stranger. But by the end of the round, uh, Jazz Peter lost with his three of a kind to uh, the stranger's flush. He was like, oh, that's a hell of a round. Jazz Peter took a breath, just getting off the high from gambling, and he was just like, yeah, sure was. And the stranger said, oh, so you'll help me with my brand, right? And then Jazz Peter was just like, yeah, sure, sure. 
and the stranger said, great, I'll, I'll be in touch about it. And then Barry's just like, alright, I think we should call it a night. And the stranger said, yeah, sounds like a good idea. So they started to wrap up, and then uh, Barry and Jazz Peter left. Peter, you really, yeah, you really shouldn't have done that. And then Jazz Peter was just like, oh, so what? So I just do like a radio, some radio promos or something. And then Barry was just like, do you know who that was? And then Jazz Peter was like, uh, no, no, no. Barry's just like, are you serious? And Jazz Peter's like, no. And then Barry just said, well, so you don't know what his brand is either. And Jazz Peter's just like, I said a million times, no, what are you getting at? And Barry's just like, nothing, I guess, just, you know, just, you know, just watch out for him, take care of yourself, you know, get out of the deal as soon as you can. Jazz Peter is just like, oh, so what's wrong with, uh, you know, pushing his brand, you know? Well, it's not like something you wouldn't do. And then Barry was just like, well, I guess I kind of already do. Jazz Peter didn't know what he meant by that, but at that point he was getting exhausted. So he went back to the hotel, uh, like four o'clock in the morning and then went to sleep. woke up at 4 p.m. in the afternoon. He felt a little bit funny. It seemed like he had a lot of strange dreams that he didn't quite remember. But he was ready to perform just as he was every night. So he was, uh, got with the quartet that he was playing with. performance room at the casino. It was Saturday night, and he was surprised how packed it was. And he was just like, God damn, it's been a while since I sold out a show. Shit. But he was excited for it, you know? Usually it doesn't get like that until like August or something, but it was only midway through his uh, AC summer uh, touring stint. So he's just like, alright, this is good, this is good. So he started to sing, and his voice was as crisp as ever, and he was just like, wow, yeah, I'm really, yeah, the, the music gods are really on my side tonight. All the muses and all that jazz. Yeah, this is really cool. Did some basic standards, you know. like to do his shows, you know, since he did so many shows back-to-back, -back, uh, it took a lot of energy for him to just, you know, lay it out as he, as he would, 
Romeo is like the chat in between songs, you know? Really, so the audience can get to know him a little bit more, get more affable and all that. Shows affability and maybe meet some people after the show and all that jazz. So after a couple songs, Jazz Peter was just like, ah, so how are y'all doing tonight? And then a very like excited crowd was just like, yeah, good, whatever. And then Jazz Peter was just like, alright, alright, you know. Playing hella, playing hella roulette, you know. He was just talking about the casino, you know, telling some jokes about gambling. Some nice punchlines and all that. When he got to his last uh, joke about his gambling stint, and he was just like, "Huh, well, you know what? I'd love to do more than anything. I'd love to kill all of you in one foul swoop." And the, there's a gasp from the audience. Oh my God! What did he say? And then uh, Jazz Peter was just like, "No, no, that's uh, not what I meant. Sorry, sorry." <laughs> So he started to get into another song, and he was just thought in the back of his head, like, what the hell was that? So he was singing, having a, trying to get back on his feet, uh, spiritually, having a good time. But then halfway through the song, uh, the song started to take a tangent. And he was all like, murder, da-da-da-da-da-da, burning things on fire. Burning people, murder, murder, we're all doomed. Oh, how I love to murder, da 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 da. He didn't know what he was saying. He was just like, fuck, what, what's going on? The audience started to freak out. He was just, what the hell is he saying? He started to cough a lot. <clears throat> Excuse me, everyone. He started to drink some water, and then the, well, the pianist, the pianist was, uh, playing his little ditty, he was just like, yo, Pete, what the fuck are you doing, man? And Jazz Peters was like, I don't know, I don't know what's coming over, coming over me, you know? I guess I'm just trying to keep it loose. And then Pianist was just like, well, keep it on loose, motherfucker, you know? I've been paid a lot for this shit. There's some fucking executives in the audience, you know? And Jazz Peters like, shit, really? And the Pianist is like, yeah, so just fucking get back on there. And then Jazz Pianist was just like, alright, uh Alright, cool, cool. Sorry, uh, sorry ladies and, uh, folks and everyone and all of you, huh? So he kept starting to sing again. It's one of his favorite songs, you know. Singing Autumn in New York. Halfway through the song, he started to hit that tangent again. He was just like, Murder, ba ba da 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 da. Oh, how I love murder, dum da dum dum. This time he couldn't stop singing it. He started to sing a bunch of vile shit. Babies on fire, do do do. The audience was appalled. He started to get into mutilation and all that. Separating limbs from a body one at a time, just so that I can listen to those so smooth 
smooth, smooth screams. The audience is starting to lose their shit now. Historically, a lot of those jazzy songs from that era are dark and creepy as fuck. But they always put it in like a nice pretty package. Whereas Jazz Peter was just letting it all out. He was just like, ah, oh, I'm sorry everyone, I don't know what's come over me. Besides my needs a kill, bum-ba-dum. Everyone started to just like throw shit at him, you know. Food, popcorn sodas, whatever kind of concessions that they snagged. Got a couple of shoes thrown at him. Apparently Jazz Peter ran off the stage. And the pianist got up to the mic and he was just like, uh, sorry everyone, this is gonna be a instrumental set from uh, for the rest of the night, so uh, enjoy. We got some good tunes and yeah, sorry, enjoy. Jazz Peter was sweating like a pig and just like, Fuck, what, what was that? What happened? And then he heard a voice said, well, that's my brand. And he saw the mysterious stranger, you know, sit in the front row, staring at him. And he was just like, what, what, your brand? What are you talking about? Well, that's my brand, you know. Murder, death, I'm all about it. And then Jazz Peter's just like, what, what the fuck are you? And the stranger's just like, oh, you know, some sort of... Just say an enthusiast for murder and death, you know. You're really helping my brand out, you know. But you got a lot of these people unhappy. Now, you really need to get back on stage and really show them how it's done. And then Jazz Peter's just like, no, I don't wanna, I don't wanna do it, no. And then the stranger said, go, go back up there and just do it. So without thinking, Jazz Peter just like went back on the stage and then snagged the mic again. He was just like, murder, bum-ba-dum-bum-dum. pulled a knife out from his jacket. He was thinking to himself, where, where, did, where did I get a knife? And then stabbed one of the members of the band. Now the audience was losing their fucking shit. The band members were freaking out. The pianist, uh tried to tackle uh, Jazz Peter, but Jazz Peter was too quick and then stabbed the pianist. And he was just like, murder, bump the dump dum The audience started to rush out, then the band members started to rush out. In their eyes, there was a psychotic killer on the loose. a tear to Jazz Peter's eye as he kept singing about murder because he couldn't stop. He tried to formulate other lyrics and sentences, but it was only about 
blood, death, fire, murder. Any sort of vile, violent act he can conceive of, he relished in it. Needless to say that his stint in AC was cut short. And ended up being sent to a prison in Indiana. Since both of those band members died, he was sentenced to life. The music career of Jazz Peter was put to a screeching halt. With the exception of performances he would do in prison, where without without having any choice, he would always sing about murder and stuff. Still trying to do the same jazz standards and melodies that he always tried to do, but no matter how hard he tried, he could only sing about murder, and to his surprise, in the prison environment, it played off pretty well. Alright, I've got one more story in me. This one's called... Sad Cactus. days of uh, the reality documentary television show Survivor Man came and went, but Gerald still was compelled to shoot himself surviving in wilderness type areas. He wasn't trying to mimic Survivor Man or anything, but he had his own offerings to both on both how to survive in the wilderness also just uh, being just a good old solid broadcast personality started to get a following online you know by doing Instagram live shows and posting stuff on YouTube and all that trying to get into TikTok but he couldn't quite get it but still people were into his uh, long form documentaries of, about him being in the wilderness about him talking to the camera and being like, oh, this is what I'm doing. Both uh, to survive and also to occupy my thoughts, you know. He started off as a guy who was uh, just a mountain climber with an Instagram posting good pictures. Then he started posting videos. started to get into more wilderness type environments and started to make them long form 
has their own finely edited pieces and all that. So here is recording a uh, one episode in the desert. His idea was just to get stranded in the middle of the desert. Uh, so he kept walking and found land, but until then he had to survive in the desert. Just staying in the desert until he walks until the next town. This was the American desert, so it wasn't as risky uh, since he was in a country that he knew that he grew up in. It would be different if he was on the other side of the planet and didn't even know the cultural intersections and of how to interact in other parts of the world. So what he was doing, he's conserving his water. He was keeping his clothes on so when he sweat it would keep his body cool. And the clothing would also protect him from the sun. walking film himself just being all like yeah I'm in the desert this is pretty cool wow you know shit like that but then all of a sudden he started to hear crying it was distant but it was noticeable and he thought what the hell is that he made sure he picked a part of the desert where there weren't any people around the crying and he saw this lone little cactus it was a tiny cactus went up to his waist but he could hear it cry it just saying it was just like um hello and the cactus was just like oh yeah yeah Gerald was just like, um, are you crying? And the cactus was just like, yeah, I need water. I'm so thirsty. And Gerald was just like, oh, uh, sure. started to pour water on the cactus. And the cactus was like, oh, thank you so much. I'm just crying tears of joy now. And Gerald was just like, all right, um, cool.
set up camp not too far from that cactus. When he was watching the footage, he didn't see the cactus make any movements when it was crying. He could still hear it cry from the video, but he couldn't tell if it was actual footage or if he was just imagining it. And he was projecting an audio hallucination on it. He just thought, maybe I've been in the desert for too long. He has seen some mirages at that time, but he can tell they're mirages, but still, to hear a crying cactus is bizarre. again. It's a crying cactus and Gerald was just like, what should I do? Should I go see it? So he grabbed his flashlight and started to find the cactus again. And he was just like, um, what's, what's wrong, little cactus? And then the cactus said, well, I need water. I need I'm thirsty. And Gerald was just like, well, I already gave you some water. And the cactus was like, oh, I need more. Uh. And Gerald was just like, alright, I'm not gonna do this. So he went back to his camp and he tried to sleep, but the cactus was just boo-hooing too loud. started to lose his shit a little. So he took uh, his one of two canteens and then just like dumped it all on the cactus. And he's just like, there, you happy? You good? And the cactus is like, oh yes, I'm, ooh, I love water. Water, ooh. And then Jared was like, alright, so I'm gonna keep walking down the desert. Don't bug me anymore. So Gerald finally went to sleep. And he woke up that morning strapping his canteens in his bag and walked away from the cactus toward a town that he knew. Uh, he's getting close to wrapping up his documentary. He's already been in the desert for several days. Starting to talk to the camera, and he was just like, Oh, yeah, I'm really fucking starting to lose it out here, you know. Fucking, you know, I can handle mirages and all that, but just a bunch of fucking cactuses uh, crying and stuff, and I don't know what to do about it. I'd see a psychiatrist when uh, I leave the desert, but until then, I'm just gonna survive and keep doing my thing. to the point where he wasn't too far from a town. He was in the home stretch of his little documentary. And he was like, yeah, this is good. This is cool. I'm really excited for another another documentary in the bank. Now, I couldn't see the town yet, but what he did here was the cactus. Oh, boo, hoo, hoo, hoo. 
Jiro turn on the cactus, turn on the uh, camera, and he was just like, "See, it's that fucking cactus again." I don't even know how I'm able to hear it. Uh, just, just loudly, you know. Came, even though he was so he was miles away from it at this point, and he had a fear that what if the crying cactus, uh, the sounds of the crying cactus never go away, and he was just like, oh god, fucking damn it. So he turns around, uh, following the sound of the crying cactus. <laughs> This camera still on, pretty much just like ranting and raving all all along the walk. And then finally, he makes it back to the cactus, and he's just like, "Okay, what?" And the cactus is just like, "I'm running thirsty." And Gerald was just like, "I already gave you plenty of water. I thought cacti could last a long time on water." Cactus was just like, oh, I cried it all out. And then Gerald was just like, well, you, you, well, but if I give you more water, you'll just cry more out. I'll just keep going like that. And the cactus was just like, oh, I'm so sad. anymore and the cactus was just like Ooh, hoo, hoo, hoo. but then the cactus started to get louder the boo-hoos turned into wah-wahs you know loud and screeching and Gerald just stood there listening to it the painful frequency of it and he started to lose his shit and he's just like alright you want you want water I'll cure I'll give you some fucking water so then he gets on his knees and then starts punching the cactus, beating it down. His hands and arms were bleeding. Pummeling the cactus with like the little milky watery substance inside, that coming out. And then Joe shouted, here, take my blood, you son of a bitch. Punching it repeatedly until it was pummeled into the ground. needles all over his arms and arm and arm and hand penetrating his veins even he was exhausted and really sweaty he saw that the camera was still on he was just like see that's what that's what we gotta do when uh when you meet an annoying cactus i, I don't know i don't know walking and it already took a day out of his journey and he's already he lost a considerable amount of pl blood beating that cactus and it took him longer than he should have uh, to bandage it up 
He was more exhausted than he should have been. And retracing steps uh, back to the cactus took a day out of his journey. that he had, didn't have any water all day. He was like, fuck, I gotta do that. So while he was nestled in his nighttime camp, he opened his other canteen, but saw that there was a hole in it. And all the water from it leaked out. So he, when he emptied one canteen onto the cactus, thought he had a second canteen filled with water, but that was empty too. So now Gerald was stuck in the middle of the desert, losing blood, and having no water. And he could barely sleep that night either, he just spent it just like ranting to the camera, just being like, oh this is bullshit man, this is bullshit. or just kept walking. Spending too long uh, without water in the hot sun. A little less blood than he was used to. He had the camera with him and he just kept saying, uh, so, so thirsty, so thirsty. running out of breath and energy. He just collapses and faints. And then under the hot beating sun, he dies about a few hours later. And then a day after that, some people find him on a little uh, hike on their own. And they're, oh my god, he's dead. He's dead. Shit, a dead guy. And then one of them found uh, his camera. They started to review some of the footage. And as they watched and watched Gerald, uh, rant and rave and not knowing much about surviving as much as he thought he did. And they kept watching and by the time they stopped they just asked, why is he freaking out about that cactus? Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Carezzi.
and good night.